Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday, January 23rd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. Uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing great work for the kingdom. I would definitely encourage you to go on over there and take a listen. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there you want to listen to, and there's a real good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, with it being a weekday, we're going to be going ahead and doing our reading. Uh, we'll be reading, let's see, well, We'll get to that in a minute, but we're going to do in our reading, and then the, in the evening segment, we'll be continuing on with this section about Jesus praying for his disciples in the high priestly prayer. Uh, this is part two about as those whom he is about to leave. So he's praying for those who he's about to leave. So he's making requests for them. He's making requests of God for them. And of course, we know because he is God incarnate, he knows his prayers will be answered because, of course, he's praying with the same mind of God, with the mind of God, the will of God. So. All right, well, let's go ahead and open up with the third day morning prayer. It's called, called God, Creator, and Controller. Let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the Holy Scriptures, the joyful gospel, the Savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty and made it honorable. Excuse me, honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use, not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world, assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Uh, let's see. The text for it is from Psalm eighty-nine, nineteen. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. Why was Christ chosen out of the people? Speak, my heart, for heart thoughts are best. Was it not that he might be able to be our brother in the blessed tie of kindred blood? Oh, what relationship there is between Christ and the believer. The believer can say, I have a brother in heaven. I may be poor, but I have a brother who is rich and is a king, and will he suffer me to want while he is on his throne? Oh no, he loves me. He is my brother. Believer, wear this blessed thought like a necklace of diamonds around the neck of thy memory. Put it as a golden ring on the finger of recollection and use it as the king's own seal stamping the petitions of thy faith with confidence of success. He is a brother born for adversity. Treat him as such. 
Christ was also chosen out of the people that he might know, excuse me, know our wants and sympathize with us. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. In all our sorrows we have his sympathy. Temptation, pain, disappointment, weakness, weariness, poverty. He knows them all, for he has felt all. Remember this, Christian, and let it comfort thee. However difficult and painful thy road, it is marked by the footsteps of thy Savior. And even when thou reachest the dark valley of the shadow of death and the deep waters of the swelling Jordan, thou wilt find his footprints there in all places, whether with that, I'm sorry, sorry, whithersoever we go, he has been our forerunner. Each burden we have to carry has once been laid on the shoulders of Emmanuel. His way was much rougher and darker than mine. Did Christ my Lord suffer and shall, and shall I repine? Take courage. Royal feet have left a blood-red track upon the road and consecrated the thorny path forever. All right, now to our reading. Um, <laughs> sorry, I did want to let you know, and I'm realizing this. So um, I told you and yesterday at the beginning of yesterday's pro, um, episode um, what I'd gone through over the weekend and how tired I was. Well, I did get good sleep last night. However, <laughs> I'm still a little... <sighs> Still a little tired, so please bear with me. All right, so our reading for today, we're going to be reading Genesis 46 and 47, uh, first 28 verses of Matthew 15, Psalm 19, and then Proverbs 4, verses 14 through 19. All right, so Genesis 46. So Israel set out with all he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I myself will also bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes with his hand. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their livestock and their possessions, which they had accumulated in the land of Canaan. And they came to Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his seed he brought with him to Egypt. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, of Jacob and his sons, who were coming to Egypt. Reuben, I'm sorry, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, the sons of Reuben, Hanok and Palu and Hezron and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jachin, and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Ur, and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, and Puva, and Ayab, and Shimron the sons of Zebulun, Sered, and Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Paddan Aram, and with his daughter Dinah, all his sons and his daughters numbered thirty-three. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, and Haggai, Shunai, and Esbon, Eri, and Arodi, and Areli, the sons of Asher, Imna, and Ishva, and Ishvi, and Bariah, and their sister Sarah, and the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah, and she bore to Jacob these sixteen persons. 
the sons of Jacob's wife Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. Now to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, who, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin, Bela and Becher, and Eshbel and Gera, and Naaman, Naaman, Ehi and Rosh, Mupim and Hupim and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob. There were fourteen persons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, and Jezer, and Shilim. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel, and she bore them to Jacob. There were seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, who came out of his loins, excluding the wives of Jacob's sons, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were seventy. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph harnessed his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now I can die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it will be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? Then you shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, and until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Genesis 47 Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds, and all that they have, have come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers, and set them before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to him, said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is heavy in the land of Canaan. So now please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Have your father and your brothers settle in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any excellent men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred and thirty. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided to his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land, because the famine was very heavy, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they brought, and Joseph brought the, 
I'm sorry, the grain which they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Then the money came to an end in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. So all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks, and the herds and the donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. Then that year came to an end. And they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money has come to an end, and the livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph brought all the land of Egypt for Sorry, so Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he moved them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they ate off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them, therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land, and it will be at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field, and for your food, and for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have kept us alive, let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth, only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they took possession of property in it, and were fruitful and became very numerous. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were a hundred and forty-seven years. Then the days for Israel to die drew near, and he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in loving kindness and truth. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But I will lie down with my fathers, and you will carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Matthew 15, verse 28 verses. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever you might benefit from me is given to God. He need not honor his father, and by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commands of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. 
Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Now Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and goes into the sewer? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. And going away from there, Jesus withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and were pleading with him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and was bowing down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the ma their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Psalm 119. Or I'm sorry, Psalm 19. Wow. Not 119. That's the big one. Psalm 19. For the choir director, a Psalm of David. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the, ends, to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which as, is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover by them your slave is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Finally, Proverbs 4, verses 14 through 19. Do not enter the path of wicked men, and do not step into the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not pass by it, stray from it, and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the pass of the righteous is like the light of dawn, that shines brighter and brighter until the fullness of day. The way of the wicked is like thick darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, you know, I continue to pray, as I always say, um, that this time together helps us 
be more saturated in the scriptures. We need to be, yeah, like I said, be like be like John Bunyan. That it, if they cut him, he would bleed Bibline. He would bleed the Bible, as his contemporary said. Well, we would hope and pray that that would be us. That we would be so saturated in the Word of God that we would bleed it if we were cut. All right. I hope you have a great day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called God Honored. Let's pray. O God, praise waiteth for thee, and to render it is my noblest exercise. This is thy due from all thy creatures, for all thy works display thy attributes and fulfill thy designs. The sea, dry land, winter cold, summer heat, morning light, evening shade are full of thee, and thou givest me them richly to enjoy. Thou art King of kings and Lord of lords. At thy pleasure empires rise and fall. All thy works praise thee, and thy saints bless thee. Let me be numbered with thy holy ones. Resemble them in character and condition. Sit with them at Jesus' feet. May my religion be always firmly rooted in thy word. My understanding divinely informed, my affections holy and heavenly, my motives simple and pure, and my heart never wrong with thee. Deliver me from the natural darkness of my own mind, from the corruptions of my heart, from the temptations to which I am exposed, from the daily snares that attend me. I am in constant danger while I am in this life. Let thy watchful eye ever be upon me for my defense. Save me from the power of my worldly and spiritual enemies and from all painful evils to which I have exposed myself. Until the day of life dawns above, let there be unrestrained fellowship with Jesus. Until fruition comes, may I enjoy the earnest of my inheritance and the first fruits of the Spirit. Until I finish my course with joy, may I pursue it with diligence, and every part display the resources of the Christian, and adorn the doctrine of thee, my God, in all things. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday or Tuesday, excuse me, January 23rd episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we're going to get in. We're going to get it, continue on in our study of John 17. But first, we're going to open up in prayer. And as we've been doing this year uh, to open up our evening segments during the week, we're going to gear uh, use a prayer out of a book called At the Throne of Grace. These are prayers by John MacArthur uh, that his children gathered together. And as I've told you before, they typically lead in with some, uh, with some text from the scriptures first. And <laughs> this one, actually, this one's pretty long. So the text for this is Psalm 148, 149, and 150. So the last three Psalms in the book of Psalms. So let's go ahead and read. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens, and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he com commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps. 
fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven, and he has lifted up a, a horn for his people. Praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in its maker, in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be on their mouth, and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations, and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains, and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Let us pray. O Lord, in focusing our prayers heavenward and considering the majestic theme of worship, we naturally turn to the book of Psalms. The final five Psalms in our Psalter all begin, Praise the Lord. Indeed, Lord, you are worthy of this great crescendo, this ringing, jubilant call to praise that echoes throughout the ages. We add our voices to the eternal choir in praise of your holy name. For you alone are exalted forever. Your glory is above earth and heaven, far above everything you have made. We, your people, therefore, join together in prayer and sing to you a new song, which is the song of redemption. Father, these psalms enjoin lively praise, employing all that we are and have, along with stringed wind and percussion instruments in the dance and with every ounce of our breath. In fact, the concluding verse of the final psalm is, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We realize that when these psalms were first penned and sung, the redemption they celebrate was understood only through your promise. It was explained through types and shadows, with so much of what was to come still veiled in darkness. But now Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now through the anointing work of Christ, I'm sorry, the atoning work of Christ, we understand the mystery of salvation. That on the cross, he rendered a blood sacrifice to be received by faith, not earned with any merit of our own. For we have no merit. We are fallen sinful, needy, helpless sinners, with no ability to free ourselves from the bondage of our sin, and therefore incapable of earning your favor through any works of our own. But Christ has applied, I'm sorry, but Christ has supplied the righteousness we need, and your word promises that all who call on his name will be saved. 
We claim that promise by faith, filled with profound gratefulness, that all your promises in Christ are yea and amen. On this side of the cross, therefore, our praise is enriched, enhanced, and enlarged, since it encompasses the great glory of the incarnate Son of God in his mighty work at Calvary. We are greatly blessed to have this full picture and offer you our praise with profound yet humble gratitude. May a song ring from our hearts at all times because of the greatness of the salvation you have given to us in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, let me put the marker back in that. And our devotion, as we've been doing, is from glorifying the book Glorifying God. It's by there by Thomas Watson. They are devotions. And so, let's see. The text for it is from Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. It brings glory to God when the world sees a Christian who is cheerful in the worst times, who with the nightingale can sing with a thorn at his breast. The people of God have many reasons to be cheerful. They are justified and adopted, and this creates inward peace. It makes music within their hearts, whatever storms are without. If we consider what Christ has done for us by his blood and wrought in us by his spirit, it is a reason for great cheerfulness, and this cheerfulness glorifies God. It reflects upon a master when the servant is always drooping and sad. Sure, he is kept to hard commons. His master does not give him what is fitting. When God's people hang their heads, it looks as if they did not serve a good master, or have fallen from their choice to follow him, which reflects dishonor on God. As the gross sins of the wicked bring a scandal on the gospel, so do the uncheerful lives of the godly. Our service to God does not glorify him unless we do so with gladness. A Christian's cheerful, uh, a Christian's cheerful, sorry, a Christian's cheerful looks glorify God. Our Christian faith does not take away our joy, but refines it. It does not break our violin, but tunes it and makes the music sweeter. All right. Well, like I said, okay, put the marker back in that book. Like I said, we're going to continue on in our study of John chapter 17. And we are in this section, second section. We've dealt with, we're, this is the second section of the, of the parts about Jesus praying for his disciples. So this is the second section of it, and I'm sorry, I'm going to find something. I'm trying to open a book over here, and I'm not that coordinated. There we go. So, so this section is about Jesus praying for his disciples. Again, this is the section, second section of it. Again, so we've we've talked about before uh, that this scripture um, speaks of. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that, that this prayer here, um, in, in it, we can break it into three parts. Um, our first part is Jesus praying for himself and, and not in a selfish manner. Okay. Um, and that's the thing we've got to remember. And I know I keep saying it, but it, it just, we got to realize this isn't Jesus going, Oh, make this better. Oh, take me out of this. It's, it's Jesus going, please help me to honor you. Please help me to honor you. Please be with me to, so I can honor you. And then you honor me. That kind of thing. He's, he's wanting to do the will of God. But then he goes on in verses 6 through 19 to pray for these disciples, for these 11 that are left here. And then verse 20 through 26, through the end of the chapter, he prays for the church itself. So this the first section we saw, verses 6 through 10, 
we we basically saw the the reasons that Jesus felt or or knew that God would answer the requests he's going to make in the sections we're talking about now. Um, so we, we're going to, we're going to see him actually do that. Um, I'm sorry. I actually want to open something else up too. That's what I was looking for. All right. Sorry. Um, so, you know, so we saw there, um, that, they had believed that these 11 had believed in him as the son. These gentlemen have a saving faith. Again, when we see that word believe in verses six through 10 in reference to them, he's not talking about an intellectual, an intellectual grasping of it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a true belief. But then he also speaks of in verses nine and 10 is he believes in it because they were given to him from the father. These were his gift. These were in his, his inheritance. We have to understand that we are his inheritance. We are the, the inheritance of the son from the father. We are giving, given to him as a gift so that he would be first born among many brothers, brothers and sisters. So again, he, he's absolutely certain as he should be. I mean, you know, he's God incarnate. He has the same will of God. So he knows that these prayers, the request he's making, he's making these requests in the will of God. And of course, that's one of the things I always have to remind myself. This is Jesus praying, not you and me. Um, because we as humans, um, as, as much as imitators of God as we try to be, as we're called to be by Ephesians 5, 1, um, as much as we strive in our Christian walk, um, it's very, very easy for us when we're praying to not truly be praying in the will of God. Um, it just, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not excusing it in myself. Please don't misunderstand, but Jesus doesn't have that problem. Okay. Where you and I are, are, <clears throat> I guess, what was it? Um, Paul Washer used to speak of it, um, is that he used to speak of radical sin. And what he was talking about is the, the sin nature being radical and what he was trying to imply and what he was laying out. And of course, that's why I'm explaining it to you because it'd be really easy to misunderstand the radical part of it. What he meant was that that sin nature um, is intermeshed with every cell of our being. And, and I honestly, I didn't even think to look this up. Um, I don't even know how many true cells there are in our body. And of course, um, part of, part of our biology is that we shed some of our cells and generate new ones, but, but I'm sure there are millions, if not billions of cell, cells in each person, but every cell of our body is permeated by that sin nature. Again, within, you know, with a saving faith in Christ that gives us in the work of the Holy spirit, that gives us the ability to ignore to some extent that that sin nature and to make godly choices to have a saving faith in Christ. Um, but again, that sin nature is there. So, so, and, and I bring this up, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but I bring this up that, that that's how we can struggle with prayer. Jesus doesn't have that sin nature. He doesn't. So when he prays, he is praying in the will of God. So the prayers he's making are the prayers God wants him to pray because God is going to, God wants to answer them. You know, it's God plans to answer them. So that's what he's praying. 
So again, like I, like I spoke of last night, there's two requests he's going to make here. We're going to see from verse 11 to, um, verse 11, 11 B to 16. We're going to see him making a request for spiritual, spiritual protection for the 11. And in verses, um, 17 through 19, we're going to see him making a request for sanctifying purity for those 11, uh, because they got a job to do. They need spiritual protection for what's coming and they need sanctifying purity so that they can truly be the witnesses for Christ they need to be to do their job. So let me go ahead and read uh, John 17. I'm going to, I'm going to just start at the beginning of verse 17 or verse 11 and we'll read 11 through 16. And I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am not of the world." I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. All right, so we're just going to break this down verse by verse and walk through this. So he's making a request. Again, the overarching idea with these verses is he's making a request for spiritual protection. So um, 11b, we're going to start with Holy Father, where we are middle of uh, verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. So notice, Jesus immediately starts off with Holy Father and then goes on, keep them in your name. So the word keep there, the Greek for it is tereo. It means to keep, to protect, to guard, um, to, to, to guard, to observe. Okay? So he's asking him, he's saying, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Now, what does he mean by that? In your name. When he speaks of the name of God, he's talking about the entirety of God's being. He's saying, Father, keep them in yourselves. Keep them in yourselves. And But notice, we need to think about it. So it's in the totality of God and all his attributes. But it's also, notice the one attribute that Jesus points out at the beginning. Holy Father. So he's saying, keep them in, in you, but keep them in your holiness. And it gets, it's the name. He goes on the name, which you have given me again. He's saying, you gave me this holiness as well. You gave me this name, this person, because he's God incarnate, but he's saying, keep them in that name, that same name that you gave me that they may be one, even as we are, that they may be in a clear union as God and Jesus are. And remember when we studied John chapter one, we see that, um, in John one, one, and I'm actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to bring it up here. Um, pop a new window and go back to John one. Uh, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Remember we talked about, and the word was with God. The Greek there is indicating clearly that the son and the father are in a relationship that we don't even grasp the kind of tight agape relationship that we struggle with a relationship that we can't even comprehend. 
that kind of comprehension, that, that, that kind of relationship. Well, what he is saying is that they may be one, even as we are father, keep them in your holiness, keep them in, in all that is you, that allness that you've given to me, that they may have that same relationship between them that you and I do that, that, you know, John has explained there in John one, one, that's what he's saying there. But he's saying that to provide them the protection. They need that protection, protection, because he goes on and makes that clear in verse 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me again, reiterates that you gave me that name, but he's saying clearly, I was keeping them that way he goes on. And I guarded them and not one of them cherished, perished, sorry, but the son of perdition again, making clear that these are the ones you gave me. Well, Let's see from verse six. These are the ones who believed. These are the ones you gave me, but I need you to keep them. I'm asking you to keep them in your name, the same name you gave me so that they may be one. They may have that same relationship among themselves that we do. And, and he's implying also to have that same relationship with us that we have with each other. And then he goes on to state, I was keeping them. I was keeping them in that name. I was keeping them in that, in the, in that wholeness that is God. And I was, and I was pr protecting them so that not one of them perished, not one of them fell back, not one of them fell away, but the son of perdition, please understand the son of perdition falling away. That's Judas. That is a reference to Judas. That was not a failure of Jesus. That was not a failure of Jesus. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that Judas has no responsibility for the choices he made. He's just like any of the rest of us. The problem is he made the wrong choices. Now, these are the wrong choices that were ordained by God long ago to enact God's plan. Okay. Yes. Jesus was going to be betrayed and he was going to be betrayed by Judas from before time began. But Judas made these choices. It doesn't abrogate his responsibility. So don't ever misunderstand that. But again, he perished from among them. That's the re reference he's saying. So, but he's making very, very clear while I was with them, I was protecting them. You have to think about that. You think through his three years of ministry, you don't see the Pharisees going. I mean, every once in a while they come to Jesus and go, well, why are they doing that? Like when they go the, through the wheat field and they just strip along and gather some kernels and eat the wheat field or barley field or whatever it was, you know, those kind of things, they go to Jesus and complain about it, but they didn't actually go to the disciples and complain about it. Um, these guys were not getting the abuse that Jesus was getting from the religious elite or from anybody else. Um, even, even they're not even the ones who are getting the questions from John the Baptist disciples, you know, they're, they're not getting that. And Jesus is keep, keeping them in some form. I I'm not saying he's fending off, but because of his presence, he's keeping the ridiculousness of the world at bay around them, allowing them to get their legs. I don't know if you've ever seen, and again, I, I don't say this like I grew up on a ranch or a farm or anything, but um, when a colt is born, the colt of a, a, a baby horse, a colt is born. One of the interesting things, actually deer are the same way when they're born, they have to struggle and struggle and struggle to finally get enough balance to get on their feet. And it takes them a little while. Now I'm not talking weeks and months and years. I mean, the fact is usually they're standing in the first day if I understand correctly. And, and if you know better than that, because you're a much, you're much more knowledgeable of that than I am, 
I, I would welcome your input because I, you know, I'm, I'm from what I've read and seen, that's what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to be incorrect, but if I am, I apologize and somebody please tell me, but again, that's part of it. And, and sometimes you'll see the mother horse or the mother deer, the, the, the doe trying to, trying to prod with their nose, trying to get them to try to get their feet under them and stand because they have to be able to move. Otherwise they're in danger, um, particularly in the wild for deer. They're in danger, so they're trying to get them to stand up and get their own feet underneath them. But then you can even see them, once they do start walking on their own feet, how unsteady they are they are, and how unbalanced they are. Yet as you see them grow into an adult, like in, in the case of a deer, into an adult, their agility and their grace and movement is amazing. Well, these, you can think of these disciples in the same way. Um Yes, they have come to a belief. Jesus has been very clear. We saw that up in seven uh, verses seven and eight. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. Again, the knowing he's speaking of here and then um, end of verse eight, and they believe that you sent me. They've come to a true belief in Christ, that he is the son of God, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. They are manifesting saving faith, but they're still babies. They're, they're still stumbling along. Hol um, Holy Spirit hasn't indwelt them yet. Um, and we're going to see the effects of that. When Jesus is arrested, they scatter. We've talked about that. So again, but what he is trying to do here, and that's what he goes on in, ver, um, you know, and he's saying these things in verse 12, but then he talks about why he's saying them. Verse 13, but now I come to you. Again, he's referencing to the fact, and they would understand this, that he's going. He is going to die, and he's going to be raised and ascend. That's what he's saying there. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in them. He's saying these things out loud so they will, will understand that he's been protecting them and that he's praying to the Father to protect them. Now, if they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, what father will not do for his son, especially when the son prays in the will of the Father? As Jesus has been telling them for the last three years that he only does what the Father tells him to do. He only says what the father has told him to say. He's been very clear about this through verse and verse and verse and chapter and chapter in all of the gospels. So they know this. So he's speaking this in the world so that they may have my, have that joy. And it's, and it's not, and, and, and this is, he's saying, have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus is not talking joy, like basic happiness. He's talking the joy and the accomplishment of the work of God for salvation. That's the joy he's talking about. And that's why he's saying this this way, so that these will have that same joy. Because again, as I've said before, he's making clear, he's being very, very plain with them about what's going on here so that they will understand that and understand that their world is not coming apart. This is meant to happen. But then he goes on to explain why it's so important that they get this spiritual protection. Verse 14, I have given them your word, word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So again, he's making clear, and that's the thing, he's stating clearly as he spoke before about them believing, about them knowing and then believing up in verses seven and eight. Again, this is a manifestation making clear that they are saved. Because they are no longer of the of the world. They're no longer of the world system. They're no, no, no longer of the world. Well, what is it that makes you and I no longer of the world? Because if we're saved, we're not of the world. 
It's our salvation. It's that in it's 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 our salvation. It's that true saving faith. And so that is what he's eating that or he's meaning there. I don't know why I said that. That's what what he's meaning there. Is they're not of the world. They have saving faith. But he goes on, even as I am not of the world, making clear that they are no longer citizens of the world. Just as Jesus is not a citizen. They are sojourners. That that's why I talk all the time. You and I if we are Christians, we are to be sojourners in this world. This world is not our home. But again, he goes on, verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Again, asking for that spiritual protection, but they need to stay in the world. They have a job to do. They have a mission. That's why he's not trying to take them out of the world, but he is asking for God to protect them. He is praying that God would protect them. God means to protect them. Believe me, he's not asking for something that God's not going to do. He's asking for something that God wants him to ask for because God is going to fulfill it. And in Jesus asking and in God fulfilling it, it makes clear to them and clear in the witness that they show that they are doing the work of God, that they are truly on God's mission, not their own, which adds great strength to their missionary journeys, to their, to their work for the kingdom. But then he goes on here in verse 16. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Again, he restates the same thing he said in 14. Um, he's not trying to be redundant there. He's just making very, very clear that because they are not of the world, because he is not of the world, and because he is going to be going, as he says, but now I come to you in verse 13. He is going to the Father. Again, we talked about this section is as those whom he is about to leave. Again, he's about to leave them. He's been making that clear for verses and verses and verses. Okay. He's been making that clear over chapters here in John, and he does it across the other gospels, making clear he is going to be crucified. He's going to die. He's going to rise. And then he's going to ascend. He's going back to heaven. So he's going to be leaving them, but they're okay. Because God is going to provide them spiritual protection. Now, I will say clearly that, yes, this part of the prayer is for these 11. But I will also tell you that as we've talked about, as we talked about last night, that Christ is our mediator. He is our intercessor, as well as the Holy Spirit, that he prays for us. I will guarantee you he prays this same prayer for you and I. For us and our walk in this crazy world. He prays for this spiritual protection for us. And believe me, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, our world is crazier than it's ever been. I don't know if that's really so. I, I think we see more of how crazy it is than we did prior to the internet and video 24-7 and, you know, etc., etc. Um, I definitely date myself when I can think back to a time when you didn't have cable and all the channels went off the air at a particular time each night and didn't come on till a particular time each morning. Um, so I'm definitely dating myself. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, I, again, I, I, think, I think we're disingenuous if we say, oh, it's worse now than it's ever been. I don't know that that's so, but it is as bad now as it has ever been. I, I, don't, I don't think at any time in this world it's ever any better, per se. Um, so we do need this spiritual protection and we have to know that Jesus, who we've been given to as his inheritance, prays in an intercessory way for this spiritual protection for us. 
All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. Um, I hope you have a good night. And let's go ahead and close up with the third day evening prayer before sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy name most excellent. Thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee. Ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us. Thy promises encourage us. Our broken hearts incite us. The mediator draws us. Thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his suffering. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.